Welcome in to another edition of Divorce Force Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm very excited to introduce this next guest, ESPN Baseball Insider Tim Kirchin. How you doing today, Tim? I'm doing okay, Adam. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. You know, just being, uh, you know, here in Maryland, and and things are things are going well. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to have you on. Uh, you've been in the game of baseball for a long time. So talk about what this season, how weird is it, but how exciting is it that we do have baseball this season? Well, it's been the weirdest <laughs> baseball season ever, the most bizarre season ever, and there isn't a close second. I mean, we we <laughs> we always play 154, 162 games, and to be limited to 60 – uh, just changes the whole landscape. And then with, of course, the whole COVID-19 hovering over this season, it's made it very unsettling for a lot of people, including me and everyone else who covers the game. But we all recognize that, you know, this pandemic is bigger and stronger than anything out there. It's way bigger than baseball. So let's just do the best we can under some really bad circumstances here. And I think baseball overall has done a, a really good job making sure we've gotten this far. I know there were a lot of people that I talked to in the game and people who cover the game who didn't even think we'd start the season <laughs> and, a bunch, and a bunch of others who didn't think we would finish the season. And maybe we still won't. But I'm pretty confident now that we're going to get through all of this. We're going to play October baseball. And I think October baseball is going to be tremendous. I think the stretch run is going to be tremendous. We're already in it. But with so many teams now having a chance to make the playoffs, 16 instead of 10, it really opens it up, especially in the National League. So I'm very excited about this last 10 days of the season. And then October, if all the playoff series are played all the way through to their finality, we'll have... 65 playoff games in October. It could be a free-for-all like we've never seen before. So in a very bad situation, there's a chance baseball could finish in a very upbeat and exciting way. Yeah, that that's right. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, baseball, you know, had a bit of a hiccup there with the, you know, the, the positive test. But talk about how much has changed in the ability to handle the environment that we in and in a great way moving forward. And as we push, uh, you know, to the postseason in major league baseball. Yeah. Well, we got off to a rocky start naturally <laughs> in, in once the season began, because that first weekend when Pete, when teams started to travel, that's when the positive tests came. And I don't think that's a coincidence. All these teams were in their little bubble to start the summer camp. And they kept things in pretty good control. But then once teams started to travel, new ballparks, out of their bubble, new hotels, new people, that's where all sorts of issues began. And I, I'm just surprised there were more issues along the way. But the Marlins and then the Cardinals really ran into some trouble. But what's happened since then is that the commissioner basically came out and said, look, as an industry, we have to do a better job. We have to be more careful. Otherwise, we're not going to finish this season. And I think the players and the teams really deserve some credit 
for being this serious about making sure that health and safety protocols are met because they have to be. Otherwise, we're not going to finish this season. And what the Indians did, basically admonishing two of their teammates and then trading one of them because they broke protocol and they missed curfew Mm -hmm. and they, they did what they weren't supposed to do. It just shows you how careful and serious the Indians are about this. And from what I can tell, most of the other teams feel the same way because they all recognize if we're going to finish the season, we're going to have to follow all the rules as best as we can. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. I mean, you got to be cautious, but also understand that you have to, you know, have that protocol in place. So what do you think the difference was from that rocky start to now uh, where it's uh, pretty, pretty smooth process so far? Um, what do you think the big difference was in making sure that baseball was to push forward with that season? Well, again, the players just decided, all right, <laughs> we're going to have to be more disciplined. And everyone around the team, clubhouse kids and everyone else said the same thing. You know, we're going to have to be more careful. So I, I still see celebrating. I still see hugging and high fives and I'm, I understand all of that, but I think the players have done a really nice job with social distancing and they've said to themselves, look, if we're, if we're going to finish, if we're going to get paid, we have to do a better job of this. And that goes for, again, everyone in the organization. So good for everyone involved for recognizing this is our only chance to finish the season is we have to be as disciplined as possible, which is tough when you got a, a lot of young kids players playing they're out on their own for the first time and they're basically going to the hotel and then to the ballpark and nowhere else in between it's it's been a tricky lifestyle but something that has to be done yeah and something different about this major league season is the new rules what's your take on that and do you see any of them sticking around in 2021 well i think the universal dh is here to stay and I think it should be. I think the DH is just its something that's going to happen. It's been here since the mid-70s. I think it's ridiculous that we have two sets of rules <laughs> for, for the leagues. And I'm all in favor of making the, the rules uniform. Even if it's just having the pitchers bat in both leagues, I'm okay with that too. But, you know, the reality is, is the universal DH is a good thing for baseball in this respect. It's keeping our pitchers healthier it's allowing a star player to take a day off from playing center field and still get four at bats it's a high paid job so the union is not going to let that job get away so i think that's the one rule that is going to stick around permanently is the universal dh and i think it should as for all the other rules this year Look, I'm in favor of all of them. I, I don't care. We're, I'm just, <laughs> we're just trying to get through this season. So, you know, seven-inning doubleheaders, minimum three batters for a reliever, putting a runner at second base to start the 10th inning of a tie game. I'm in favor of all of that stuff for this year and this year only. Now, after this year, I certainly hope we return to nine-inning games no matter what. I certainly hope we take away – the let's put a runner at second to start the 10th so we can get the games over sooner. Just not sure that was the point of how baseball was put together, you know, 120 years ago, but I'm in the minority on this. I've met a lot of people in the game, not just writers, but people who wear a uniform 
who think the seven-inning doubleheader is here to stay and that the put-a-runner second to start the 10th is here to stay. Maybe not. I don't think it is, but they think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea, but we'll see where this goes uh, as far as permanent nature goes next year. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. And and talk about, you know, obviously push to the playoffs. What is something that you're excited to see heading into October? And, you know, what has been the most exciting piece of this season on the field? Well, there are so many great pennant races now, and the seeding is now so important because you really don't want to be an eight seed and have to go and play on the road in the number one seeds ballpark. Um, but I'm fascinated mostly, well, I'm fascinated by so many things during this bizarre year, but the Marlins are an amazing story. I mean, not just getting the whole COVID, uh, you know, attack early on with their team and having to sit out and being stranded. They've come back and as of the moment, they are a playoff team. And I would have bet my house, there's no chance the Marlins could be a playoff team this year even in a 60-game season. Now, we all know that over 162, that's a far greater test of the depth and the strength of your team. But I just didn't see the Marlins being a threat in 60 games. And then after what they went through early and lost half their team, it's a miracle that they are where they are. They are the best story in the game heading into October. We'll see if they make it to the playoffs, but... As of this moment, they're a playoff team, and that, that's a fascinating story. And, you know, I'm not rooting for anything except for a good story, and that's what the Marlins are. Yeah, uh, for sure. And over the years, uh, pre-COVID, what were some things that you really enjoyed, and what, is one of, what are some of your favorite ballparks that you enjoy going to? Well, I've covered a game in 60 different major league stadiums, so <laughs> I, I've been a very lucky man. Um, the Fenway Park is still my favorite, being, again, 63 years old. I love the history of the game. I love walking into that place and thinking, you know, Ted Williams played right there and Babe Ruth pitched on that mound right there. That really matters to me. Um, Wrigley Field is another one. I mean, it was, you know, it's over 100 years old, and I just love anything that's that old, still looks that good, and has that kind of history to it. But there's so many other ballparks that have done such a wonderful job of building state-of-the-art places that have a real old-time feel to them. Camden Yards, of course, was the first ballpark to really do the retro look and make it a ballpark and a field, not necessarily a stadium. And uh, following the, the you know Camden Yards, we've had Pittsburgh and uh, San Francisco and Seattle and Coors Field. I mean, there have been so many great ballparks that have followed Camden Yards. But uh, as far as the new ones go, Camden Yards and, and PNC and Pittsburgh are my two favorites. And as far in another category, Fenway and Wrigley Field. But, you know, at this point, uh, I'd like to go to any ballpark and cover any game because I, I've really missed the experience that COVID has taken away. Yeah, uh, for sure. And talk about growing the game um, on the grassroots level and particularly Major League Baseball. How important is that to to grow the game, you know, on the on the youth level? Well, it's critical to 
get as many people involved in the game as possible. Because let's be honest here, football is king in this <laughs> country. Basketball is enormously popular, more popular than baseball. And baseball has lost its footing over the years with the fans. Ratings aren't as good as they used to be. Attendance isn't as good. And even revenues aren't quite as good as they used to be. So the idea is to get more and more people involved. And baseball has done a pretty good job of getting more children and more women involved, which is great. The more, the merrier. But there's still a lot of work to be done to grow the sport. And But they're working at it. And I, I think with all the great young players we have in the game today, including Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres, people are starting to open their eyes and realize you know, there's a lot of personality in baseball. There's a lot of fun in baseball. But let's face it, people are looking for immediate gratification. They're looking for spontaneity. They want everything, and they want it now. They want excitement all the time. And for some people, baseball's just going to be too slow. An average game lasts three hours and ten minutes. That's just too long for some of our young people, and I understand. They grew up in a different time, but... I think once baseball grabs you, it's a very seductive sport. And I'm just hoping we can get a few more people interested because that's the way to grow the game. Yeah, for sure. And being out on the game like you have, what is the most rewarding part about, you know, what you do on a day-to-day basis? And, you know, what advice would you give those who are interested in working in the sports world? Well, the most rewarding thing for me is to write a book i've written three of them and and that's the best feeling that i can have as a writer is to write a book and have people well have people read my book that nothing makes me feel better in this industry than that writing a really good story for my newspaper or for sports illustrated or now for espn the magazine espn.com Writing a really good story is so satisfying for me more than anything else. But I will tell you, I really enjoy doing television, which I've done for almost the last 25 years, because even though I'll always be a writer first, the beauty of television is its immediacy and its spontaneity. I can weigh in on something right now. When I worked in Sports Illustrated, you know, when a when I would write, I would have to wait a week to see my story <laughs> in print. Now I can be in game seven of a World Series and I can weigh in on it and I can I can talk about it immediately on television. And I love that. It makes my life a little more hectic and I understand that. But um, and as far as advice for young people, um, Number one thing is if you want to get into this business, you have to learn how to write because even though you might not be a baseball writer per se, everyone who does TV and radio, they're going to have to learn how to write if they're ever going to be good at this. So that's the number one rule. And number two, obviously, you have to show up and try every day. It seems pretty obvious, but not everyone really shows up every day and really works at it. That's critical, especially when you're covering baseball. And when you do show up every day, you know, you just have to be curious to what you're watching here. You, you watch a game and you wonder, you know, when's the last time that happened or what happened on that play? And then in a normal world, you go downstairs and ask the manager or the players involved, 
tell me what happened on that play. That's what I enjoy so much about covering the sport is watching the games. There's no substitute for being at the ballpark. There's no substitute for talking to the players face-to-face before and after the game. And again, that's what I miss the most through this COVID is actually having total access to the players like I always do, like we always do. Uh, We just don't have that anymore. And it's really affected our coverage, everyone's coverage, and the way we do our jobs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the love of the game and and talk about that and, you know, being able to adjust, you know, on the fly. I mean, obviously being in sports is not a nine to five job. Uh, so talk about having that ability to just, you know, work on the fly and, and no matter what. I mean, obviously you miss miss certain family functions, but but you do it for the love. Talk about that ability. Just keep going after it. Yeah, well, you know, if you're going to cover baseball specifically, you know, you're going to be away a lot of nights. You're going to be away a lot of weekends. And if you want to do it right, you got to go to all the games if you're going to be a beat writer. If you're not the beat writer, you're a columnist or you're mm-hmm. cover for ESPN, you got to go to a lot of games. You got to work all the time because the game never stops. We got 15 games a day. But that's kind of the beauty of it is the game tells you every day what the story is like in football and I, I like football don't get me wrong but they play a game every Sunday and then they're six off days and then they play another game but in baseball there's a game every night and the game always tells you what to write about and that's what I love the most about it is I just love going to a game wondering well, what am I going to write about tonight? Because I have no idea what I'm going to write about because I the game hasn't started yet, but the game will tell you where the story is. You just have to be able to recognize it and then follow it. And that's that's what I always enjoyed about being a beat writer. A couple of years, I, I was a beat writer for 10 years. A couple of years, I covered all 162 games. And it was like, it was like writing a book on the season. <laughs> and every game was a chapter in the book and your scorebook and your day-by-day book that I used to keep. I mean, that was with me wherever I went because I felt like I was chronicling every step of the way for a major league team. And I thoroughly enjoyed being a beat writer for a newspaper. It taught me so much about what I needed to know for later, for when I went to work at Sports Illustrated. And now that I work at ESPN, that all the lessons I learned as a baseball writer working as a beat writer for a newspaper uh those lessons have really served me well this many years later yeah that's awesome and talk about the early mentors you leaned on uh early on in your career and how instrumental uh was those were or were those individuals well when i was at the washington star right out of college in the late 70s dan shaughnessy was our baseball writer and he was great i couldn't believe how great he was he was so much better a writer than i was and still is by the way but i watched him and eventually i became his backup because they recognized well this guy doesn't know what he's doing yet but he sure loves (laughs) baseball so let's give him some opportunities so i watched dan shaughnessy do his job and then i started backing him up and following him and And then I got to write and then I would write stories and think, how would he do this? And then I kind of developed my own style, which you have to do no matter what. 
Um, so he was my first mentor in the business. Um, and then I went to Dallas and Randy Galloway was the beat guy there. And I followed him and he became the columnist. And I watched how he did the job and he did it differently than Dan Shaughnessy, but he did it exceptionally well. So Galloway was a really big help in my career. And then, of course, Peter Gammons was the best, I believe, the, the greatest baseball writer of all time. He taught all of us how to do the beat. He taught all of us how to cover the team. He taught all of us how to write a game story. He taught all of us how to do the Sunday notes column. So when I think about the biggest influences in my journalistic life, uh, Dan Shaughnessy number, it was the first one, Randy Galloway, and then Peter Gammons. So those three have, were a tremendous help for me along the way and still are. Yeah, that's awesome. I couldn't uh, imagine. And for those uh, college students looking for mentors, obviously you mentioned that you emulated them, but also had your own style. You know, what advice would you give to individuals who are looking for, you know, mentors in the industry that you're that they're interested in getting into? Right. Well, Vin Scully, and believe me, quoting Vin Scully <laughs> is uh, reverential, believe me. But he basically said once that uh, – the only thing that separates your broadcast from any other broadcast is you. So you have to develop your own style. Vin said something to the effect of he doesn't listen to any other broadcasters because he doesn't want their style to affect his style. He wasn't being critical. He was just saying, I have to be me because I'm the only thing that is different then everyone else is me. And that's the way I started to look at it. I mean, I, I borrowed things from all sorts of people, Dan Shaughnessy, Peter Gammons. But in mm. the end, when you sit at your computer or your typewriter and you're writing your story or you're going on TV, you have to be who you are. If you're trying to be somebody else, it's not going to work. So that that's the number one thing is to try to develop a style. And you don't even have to do it consciously sometimes subconsciously you just are writing and that's who you are but if you say well i need to write it like peter would write this or like dan would write this uh it's usually not going to work just be yourself if it's good enough great if it's not good enough then maybe you weren't meant to do this after all anyway <laughs> yeah i love that um and talk about your you know your best or the person that you've enjoyed the most, you know, you've done a lot of interviews uh, with athletes, coaches, managers. Um, do you have like a top five list of, you know, um, people that you like really enjoyed uh, interviewing the most? Well, I have probably like a top hundred list on that, <laughs> but um, I think Cal Ripken is right up there on the top of my list because I covered him for so long and I was fascinated by the way he went about his job He's the most analytical, observant baseball player I've ever seen. Uh, nothing slipped by him, even if it was the proper way to tape your own ankles before a game. That kind of stuff intrigued him. But he, he understood the game better than almost anyone I've ever met. And I learned so much just watching him play the game. And, you know, he comes across as a little bit guarded and a little bit protected but once you get to know him, and fortunately, I got to know him really well from being around him every day for five years, um, that was a really 
cool thing for me. So I would put him pretty much at the top of the list because I felt like I, I found a way to get inside there a little bit that not everyone got a chance to do. He, of course, allowed me in there a few times, and I was fascinated by who he was um, and is. Tony Gwynn was another one who I just loved being around. I loved talking to him. Everything with Tony was a conversation. It was never just a question and answer period. It was two guys sitting down, two guys who love baseball, talking about baseball. And Tony was was the, the, the one of the best hitters I've ever seen. And I've never met anyone other than Ted Williams who understood the art of hitting better than Tony Gwynn. So those were two guys that, if you ask me, you know, who, who would I like to go out and have a beer with and talk baseball? Those would be the two. And I found it really interesting that both of them went into the Hall of Fame in the same year. I found that to be very symmetrical, that two guys who played their entire careers for one city and pretty much the city they grew up in. Uh, I always love that. I love that their careers essentially started at similar times, but ended at the same time. Uh, so those are two of my guys that I would look at and say, yeah, I enjoyed that. And in today's game, there's still, there's so many of them. I love talking to Mike Trout, but as far as managers go, Tito Francona of the Indians is just one of the funniest people I've ever met in <laughs> uniform. One of the best people I've ever met. He has great understanding of people, of communication, of getting the best out of his players, of understanding what job a writer has when he's doing his job like me. Um, and I've learned so much just watching him deal with people. And he came to work with us in 2011 for one year. I spent a lot of time with him and it was hilariously funny, but it was also very instructive on how to treat people, how to treat the game. So I, I have a million people out there that I've enjoyed dealing with over the years, but Th those are three that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's awesome. And and talk about the impact of a Cal Ripken. And who do you think is obviously he's one of a kind, the Iron Man, obviously. But where do you see that, and where would you put that within the game of baseball? Well, there's never been anybody like Cal Ripken. There'll never be anybody mm -hmm. like him again. That is to me at least, the most unbreakable record in baseball history. You know, we're playing a 60-game season right now, and we're giving guys, star players, a day off here and there. And Ripken basically played 16 seasons in a row without a day off, which was just stunning. But his story is just so much more than a baseball story. It's a story about commitment and loyalty and discipline and neighborhood and everything else. And so when he broke Lou Gehrig's record that night, 2131, I was around for all of that week. I wrote all of those stories for Sports Illustrated. That was one of the greatest memories I've ever had covering baseball was covering the 2131 game and all the things that went around it. And I think that I know that was the most powerful night that I've ever spent in a major league ballpark. Cause even though the, the, the drama wasn't there. It wasn't like a win or lose situation. And we knew he was going to break the record as soon as the top of the, the fifth inning was over. And when it did, uh, that spontaneous 22-minute run around the ballpark was like 
nothing I've ever seen. It was, I saw people weeping in the stands. It was one of the great moments for a player, for an opponent, for the fans, for baseball. And I'll never forget leaving Camden Yards that night. I was with Ripken in his car because I was doing a story on what it's like this week. And we drove past, uh, we left Camden Yards at like 1.45 in the morning. <laughs> and there was a man there, like a, an old man holding a sign. And it read, Cal, thank you for saving baseball. And I'll never forget that because ultimately after the 94 strike, a lot of things went wrong and Cal Ripken really started to bring the game back with the way, not just the way that he played, but the way he conducted himself and the way he presented things. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I love that. And so true. I mean, like you said, I mean, it's a lot more, not just on the field, but his commitment to the game and so forth for today's players. Who do you think are some of the key players in today's game who are making a huge contribution um, off the field? Well, Mike Trout's the best player in the game. And maybe <laughs> since Willie, other than Willie Mays, he might be the best overall player I've ever seen. And he's another guy who really conducts himself the right way. He's not very, you know, he's not very talkative, meaning he's not real colorful. He can be if he wants to be. Believe me, he's hilariously funny, but he just wants to play baseball. He doesn't want to be anything but a baseball player. He doesn't have to be the marketing tool that maybe baseball wants him to be. He feels like the best way to sell the game and promote the game is to just play it every day and to play it better than everyone else. And he shows up every day ready to kick your butt, but he's still a very much an aw shucks kind of guy. You know, he's breaking all these records. He's doing stuff that no one else has done before. And instead of making it about him, it's always about the game for him and his team for him. And he's just so down to earth. And I've met his mom and dad, so I know where that comes from. But, you know, he like he loves the weather and he's fascinated by tornadoes and hurricanes and everything else. <laughs> he loves the Philadelphia Eagles, but instead of sitting in a private box upstairs by himself to watch the games, he sits in the stands with a hoodie on in the rain and watches football. Cause as he told me, this is how you're supposed to watch football. So he's one of those guys that can carry the game into the next generation. He's, he's a generational player as it is, but, He's been followed by so many good young players, including Fernando Tatis Jr. and so many other young guys on the way up. I think baseball's in a really good spot with the talent that is on the field. And I just hope that uh, people are able to recognize that baseball is a really interesting and exciting game still. Yeah, I love that. And as we approach the playoffs, um, you know, a lot of, seating uh, still has to be made but if you had to you know say you know who might be there for the final two spots uh, for the World Series who do you think would be uh, representing the American League and National League for the for the World Series this season well this is baseball so there are no guarantees about anything <laughs> this is different than football and basketball at least it is for me but I 
pick the Dodgers to play the Yankees in the World Series at the beginning of the season. And I'm certainly sticking with the Dodgers because as, as we do this, they're 35 and 15. Mm-hmm. And they have great pitching and they hit the ball out of the ballpark. And they have an awful lot to play for here. So I'm going to say that I think the Dodgers are going to go to the World Series from the National League. The American League has been a complete free-for-all. There's been a different best team in the league like six different times this year. It started with the Yankees, and then, of course, they had a ton of injuries and hit a really bad stretch. And as we speak today, they've gotten hot again, and they're hitting home runs again. So I'm going to stick with they're going to the Yankees are going to play the Dodgers in the World Series. But the beauty of baseball is once October comes, anything is possible. This is the one sport that strange things happen all the time, especially in October. The ultimate beauty of baseball is its unpredictability, because unlike basketball, when LeBron James touches the ball on every possession, Garrett Cole can't pitch every game. Mike Mike Trout's not allowed to bat 12 times per game. Everyone has to play. And that's one of the ultimate beauties for me is that strange things happen in baseball because of the skill required, the difficulty of the game, and the fact that the 25th guy on your team could take the last shot tonight, whereas in basketball, my second favorite sport, I mean, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, LeBron James, Steph Curry, they always take the last shot, and they should. But in baseball, you're never quite sure what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis, and that's why predictions are not my favorite things to do. (laughs) But I'll stick with the Yankees and the Dodgers, but nothing would surprise me, and nothing should surprise anyone this year, given how unusual this COVID season has been. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. And and talk about, you know, not just the season, but what what are some things that you're excited for for uh, the 2021 season and potentially having fans in the stands and so forth? Well, I'm just praying that it is not a COVID-affected season. But <laughs> at this moment, I think it's going to be. I am praying, of course, that we find a vaccine, we get everybody healthy, we get things cleared up, and we play a real major league season next year with 162 games and fans in the stands starting on opening day. But I'm worried about that. I'm already worried about spring training. I'm worried about April. Where are we going to be with this pandemic at that time? We're really not making great progress as hard as we're trying. So that's my hope. That should be everyone's hope. Everything will work out as long as COVID allows us to play next year and we can play a real schedule without quarantine, without working around really difficult issues. So that's my only hope for next year. The game will take care of itself. The game will be played beautifully as long as we can play it the right way. And I think that's going to be up to the pandemic to tell us if we're allowed to do that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, do you remember uh, when you got the call that say, hey, there is going to be baseball this season? Do you remember uh, where you were, what you were doing? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we kind of knew all along there were so many stories out there. And I kind of knew in early May that 
baseball needed this so badly for this to happen. And even though there were roadblocks and I kept wondering, is this going to happen? I I just talked to enough people who thought that baseball cannot afford to lose an entire season. Now, if the pandemic just prevented it, I I got it. We understood. No one would complain Mm -hmm. if it was a health issue, if it was a safety issue, we shouldn't be playing. But once it seemed that the game was starting to move in the right direction, I I felt pretty good that I think we're going to play. I wasn't sure. And I wasn't, I was certainly wasn't sure that we were going to finish the season, but now it looks like we are. And I think we're going to get through October with the whole bubble situation, which is a Good idea. Let's keep everyone as safe and as confined as possible. Less travel, the better. And uh, so I think we're going to finish this season. And I think if you asked a lot of people, say, at the end of June, are we going to finish the season? I think the majority of, of opinion would have been no, we're not. And now I think we are. And I think everyone deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, for sure. And just as we uh, close things out here, if you had to pick one word to describe, uh, you know, the season or what it's like covering baseball on a day-to-day basis, uh, what would you pick and why? Well, strange, unusual, bizarre. I'll, I'll go with bizarre because (laughs) I've never seen, nor has anyone else seen anything like what we've gone through this year with quarantine and with travel the way it is and the way we've had to change the schedule and way how we're making up rules on the fly here, how we changed the playoff picture while the regular season had begun and what, how we just suddenly went to seven inning double headers. I mean, none of this stuff is easy because it's all unprecedented and it's all uncharted territory. And again, baseball has taken some heat for not doing things the right way. I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass here because there was no map on this. There was no blueprint for this is the way you should do this because no one had ever been through this before. So this has been a bizarre baseball season and it will stay a bizarre baseball season, my guess, until the final game of the World Series. Yeah, for sure. And Tim, I I really appreciate you taking the time this afternoon. Uh, I know you got to run here, but yeah, it was a pleasure. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, and good luck with your podcast. I appreciate it, Tim, and take care. Okay. See you soon.